Hello and a warm welcome to Living Fabulously with Bev. The mission for the show is to get to the heart of well-being through inspirational stories of everyday people, expert insights from a number of health and lifestyle related disciplines, and exploration of topics that underpin well-being. If you want to take control of your well-being and put yourself front and center in your life, then this is the podcast for you. I want you to feel calm, nurtured and inspired so you can enjoy your life and your success. If you have not yet done so, please subscribe, rate and review on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you know someone else that would get value from the show as well, please share it with them. Join me on this journey and let's live the fab life together. Today, I'm absolutely delighted to introduce my guest, Dr. Kathy Groover. Welcome, Kathy. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. So tell me about yourself and what it is that you do, Kathy. Sure. So it depends on what time of day you catch me. Uh, I'm a massage therapist and a hypnotherapist. Uh, I'm an author. I've got seven books. I lecture around the world on stress, mindfulness, meditation, nutrition, work-life balance, that sort of thing. Uh, I'm a hip-hop dancer. I do flying trapeze. And uh, I'm here in Santa Barbara, California, a little overcast today, but uh, I love where I am and what I do, and I get to help people. So I really just help people facilitate their healing letting them know they have choices and how they think, how they act, what they put into their bodies, what they put into their minds. So uh, I, I, have a, I have a pretty full plate, but I love every second of it. I love the mix there, a bit of hip-hop dancing and flying trapeze. <laughs> well, sure, you got to throw that. I mean, doesn't everybody do that, you know? <laughs> Sounds exciting. And so how would you describe your own journey? Yeah, it was really filling breadcrumbs. Um, a lot of what I do, geez, most of what I do, I didn't set out to do. Like as a kid, I wasn't like, I'm going to be a healer. Uh, I was actually an actor. And from the time I was a really young kid, I wanted to be on stage. So I guess in that way, it's come full circle because now I'm on stage doing public speaking. I, I joked with someone the other day. I said, it's the same stage. It's a different outfit. Uh, not not doing crazy accents or doing you know comedy per se, but I still get to stand in front of people and help them. I think a lot of that that came out of uh, my mom got sick when I was about 12 or 13, ended up dying when I was 18, and uh, watching her suffer through cancer. And this was Pittsburgh in the 80s, so there were not many options for her. We were stuck with chemo, radiation, surgery. She had multitudes of all of those. And I think just realizing that she wasn't given a choice, and I remember even bringing it up to the doctor, you know, this like 16-year-old me going, I heard about this thing called acupuncture. And they're like, what the heck are you talking about? You know, they didn't give her options. And uh, my dad was such an incredible caregiver. So I think it was that combination of just always looking for alternatives, wondering about choices for people and seeing what my parents went through. I think that really sparked my interest in alternative medicine. And uh, when I was in college, I accidentally apprenticed with a woman who did massage. And I realized I was really good at it and I really liked doing it. And so she kind of pushed me in that direction of, well, then do it. It was the perfect addition to um, acting in Hollywood. I thought I would you know, have a massage career in between those award-winning films I was going to be doing. And <laughs> the, the award-winning films didn't come, but the massage stuck. And it's unfolded from there. You know, I started doing Reiki and homeopathics and herbs and went back to school and got my master's and PhD. And it's just, it's been an incredible journey and it's all unfolded in front of me. 
and I still don't know where it's going to go. I have no idea what, what my, I don't know what I'm going to be when I grow up. <laughs> <laughs> That's fabulous. Uh, I love though that you actually say you following the breadcrumbs, you know, so you're letting it unfold and, and that's special too. Yeah, you know, it's been it's been sort of surprising. And people who knew me growing up, you know, when they said, well, what are you going to do if the acting doesn't work out? You have to have something to fall back on. It was always my very practical father saying, have something to fall back on. You know, and he tried to push me into accounting, which is hysterical because I am the worst person at math ever. <laughs> That's the one thing you do not want me doing. You do not want me ba- I, balancing a checkbook. I can do anything worse than that. I still won't get on a train because I'm afraid I'm going to have to calculate when I pass a different train going another direction. It terrifies me. Uh, but it was, you know, that thing to fall back on. And now I see what I've created and what I've been able to offer to so many people. And the falling back on is sort of what I've done. I I just sort of let everything unfold in front of me and I I grab whatever's there. That's beautiful. You mentioned obviously that stress of going through that journey with your mom and being in that sort of environment, but I'm seeing a lot of stress escalating generally. So what do you believe is the cause of this escalation? Oh, yeah. You know, I think it's so many things. Um, I I think because we're now a global community, I think we're being affected more by what's happening around the world. You know, 20 years ago, unless I really paid attention to the nightly news, I wasn't hearing about, you know, what was happening in North Korea. And I wasn't hearing about all these storms all over the world. And, you know, now with this 24-7 news cycle, where we have channels dedicated to showing you this tragic stuff that's happening, I think it's really stressing everyone out. I think social media is actually a huge contributor to it because again you no matter where you are whether you're standing in line at the post office or hiking through the andes you could pull out your phone and see what's going on in the world i think we're being overwhelmed by these external things and one of the keys to that is you know i talk about i talk about stress a lot stress really isn't our problem because we can't control any of that outside stuff we can't control what's happening outside of our own beings and that's where the key to this is is you want to control your thoughts your responses to these things because if we can't change that external stuff, we can at least change how we react to it, how we respond to it. Um, so I think that's the key. It's it's really just changing our focus, changing our minds, and deciding to make a different choice. I think that's the key. I love that you say that. So stress is not our problem, but managing and controlling our thoughts is ours to choose. So it's a choice. Yep. Absolutely. Because, and it's funny, I was thinking, I, I do a lot of talking about responding versus reacting. You know, we want first responders. We don't want first reactors. And people say to you all the time, oh my God, you're totally overreacting. Nobody ever accuses anybody of over-responding. Oh, you're putting out that fire too efficiently. You know, so we have these reactions, which tend to be oftentimes overblown and not really thought out. And I think the key to that is taking a pause taking that pause, that moment of silence before you let whatever's about to blurt out of your mouth, blurt out of your mouth, because that's what tends to get us in trouble, whether it's on the freeway or with a spouse. Um, And if we just take that pause, there's such power there to give ourselves a chance to really formulate what we want to do next. And I think that's where that beauty and the response comes, is it's an actual thought out, forward thinking, hmm, how can I handle this as opposed to just having that reaction? I think that's just one of the biggest keys to handling stress. And I guess at a, a, you know, sort of personal stress level, a lot of people sit in their heads and ruminate. So 
Kathy, what would you say around that? You know, because if if your thoughts are where you can start to create the response, but yet you tend to ruminate and go round and round and round, what would you say to that? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. It's estimated we have about 60,000 thoughts a day and that 50,000 of those are negative. That's huge. And and with every negative thought, it leads to more and more negative thoughts. This is how our brain works. We form these pathways and those can be changed. We have this great thing called plasticity where we can create new pathways in the brain. So rather than trying to stop thinking things, which is really, really hard. I mean, it's great for me to say negative thoughts are bad, but for me to say, stop thinking that, it's, it's really hard. Um, so I like replacing those things. So rather than stopping the negative, replace it with positive. And this is where I really like affirmations. So with affirmations, you just want to make them short, positive in the pr- and in the present moment. So rather than saying, oh, I don't have enough money for that. I can't afford that. I'm broke. Da, 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 and constantly reinforcing that or talking about how bad your neck hurts or how bad your back is, or, you know, it doesn't help anything. It just creates more stress, which creates more pain. And then you have this cycle, which won't end saying something like, I am prosperous and abundant. Money flows easily to me. My neck is strong and flexible. My back is comfortable and at ease. You know, all of those things actually, studies show, can change our physiology. And at the very least, it's stopping that stress response, which is creating all these other problems with our immune system, with our digestion, with our cognitive functioning. So sh- switching those is is really easy. Um, it's it's hard because we're used to getting drug right back into that path of negativity. And I like to use the uh, the example of if you've ever been snowshoeing and you have to work your way through that really deep snow, the first person really has to work. But as they build that pathway, it's easy for you to just stay in that path. La, 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 and you just walk along. You didn't have to do the hard work. But if you want to get out of that path, then you really have to work at it. It's so easy to just get drugged right back into that negative cycle or that pathway in that snow. Um, to me, that's just what that's what the brain does. You just have to forge new forge new pathways. What you're saying is, if you own your on your own first shoe snowing path, you really have to pay attention and you know keep on at it. It's not like going to come immediately. So it's just reinforcing the alternative instead of allowing the well-worn path to be the priority. Exactly. Exactly. And this is where, you know, affirmations are simple. And you can also, you know, we all have a gadget now that's buzzing and ringing and you have reminders and pictures and you all this stuff. We can put those in our environment, whether it's on your dashboard in your car, if you do a lot of driving, or whether it's in your direct office space or on your mirror in the morning when you're getting ready for work. You know, we can put these little reminders up of be positive and breathe. And, you know, our subconscious starts to react to that. So even if we're not cognitively looking at that affirmation, once we've done it enough, it acts almost sort of like a hypnotic suggestion. And we eventually just see it in our environment and it triggers that sense of relaxation for ourselves. It triggers that positivity. And, you know, when we're positive, we perceive ourselves as luckier. We tend to go into situations with a different attitude. So whether it's the first date or the meeting with a boss, if you're feeling positive about it, as opposed to dreading it for the four days leading up to it, it's going to have a much better outcome. You know, I've had so many clients where they've built up this stress of this first date or this blind date, you know, they swiped right or left or whichever way you swipe to get the guy. <laughs> I don't, my husband is... 
my husband doesn't let me date. I don't know which way to swipe. Um, but when you swipe that way and you're meeting that guy, I hear them say like, oh, he's probably not going to like me and I'm not as pretty as my picture and he seems in better shape than me and he's going to want to hike and I can't. And, you know, I'm thinking, geez, don't even go. I mean, like you already set yourself up for this horrible failure um, rather than going in with a positive attitude. And that way, even if it doesn't work, you've at least had a really great experience. You know, we're so good at sabotaging ourselves. It's actually incredible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so what are some of the ways that you've resolved dealing with this, you know, because we've got a busy mind, Mm -hmm. um, you know, crazy thoughts going on. So how have you resolved this for yourself and your clients? You know, for uh, other than the affirmations, which are just so easy. So I recommend that to everybody. You know, I, I love meditation, which is kind of funny because I've never been particularly good at it. Um, but a really simple meditation, which I know I'm going to teach everybody in a second, but also a mindfulness practice. Mindfulness is really, really easy to incorporate. I mean, there's these tasks that we have to do anyway, brushing your teeth, taking a shower, washing the dishes. And to do that mindfully, you're simply bringing in all of your senses and you're staying focused on the task in that present moment without judgment. So if you're doing the dishes mindfully, you know, bring those senses in. How does the water feel on your hands? What's the, what's the temperature? Feel that plate. Is there a rough spot? Did you miss something? How does that soap smell as it comes out of the sink? Is that lemony or orange scent? And then the water hitting the sink, and that crackling of the bubbles in the sink, that sound it makes. And then watching those bubbles form. And inevitably, this happens every time I do the dishes, one little bubble floats away. And he kind of catches the light and there's that little rainbow in it and it pops with a spray of water. Suddenly you realize that you've not only washed every dish in the house, you've done a mindfulness practice. And the other thing that really helps us do is not only stay in the present moment where there is no stress, our stress is behind us or in front of us, it tends to not be in the present moment, but it again trains us to respond rather than react. Being that if a thought intrudes, you just dismiss it and say, oh, I was thinking, okay, and you return to your task. That is one of the greatest things, and kids love doing it too. It's a really, really great exercise for children. Some of the benefits then that flow from there, Kathy? Yeah, you know, it brings you, again, it brings you back into the present moment. It stops that stress response, and that fight or flight response, you know, we learned about in eighth grade biology, um, was really useful if we were being chased by a bear. Well, our stress isn't that anymore. You know, I've traveled all over the world. I've yet to be chased by a bear. Uh, so we're having this, we're mounting this massive chemical reaction to, hey, the boss wants to see you Monday. And it's warranting the same reaction that we would get if we truly were walking through the woods and a bear jumped out at us. We can't sustain that. That's not what our body was made to do. So it stops that fight or flight response, which allows us to be healthier. Uh, the other thing it does is it, again, keeps us in that present moment. And in that present moment, there is no stress. It allows us to respond rather than react. And with presence, you know, we're better communicators. We have better relationships. We have more success. We have, there are tons of things that come with truly being present with someone. It improves every single job. I don't care what you do for a living. It improves your ability to do your job and be productive if you're truly there in the moment with that person, with that machine, with that piece of paper, whatever it is. Um, there's just the, the, the benefits are amazing. I guess for some people, you know, who say that they can't meditate, you know, maybe they've got a busy mind or they feel they don't have time or whatever it is. What would your guidance be for those people? <laughs> you mean for me? Yeah, <laughs> just me. I'm sitting here raising my hand going, yeah, that's me. Uh, I'm very type A. Uh, I'm from the East Coast. I'm from Pittsburgh originally. So I walk fast. I talk fast. You probably noticed. Uh, I eat fast. My brain goes a mile a minute and I'm a dancer. So to tell me to sit on a pillow 
and still my brain, I'm thinking, why am I in timeout? What did I do wrong? Like, why are you making me sit here? Um, and I just got done doing a, a mindfulness, uh, a presence program with Eckhart Tolle. And he said, humans are so funny because we talk about being and doing. And he said, people sit on the pillow and they're like, okay, I'm doing being now. Okay, now I'm being. <laughs> How long do I do the damn being? This is really hard, you know? And that's true. That's what I thought, that you had to sit on this pillow a certain way. I could cross my legs. I'd dance or no problem. I had that down. But the, you know, touching your fingers and I didn't know if you touched the wrong one, you went into a different realm um, and then you had to roll your eyes back in your head, which always gave me a headache. And then your tongue went somewhere and you weren't allowed to move. And if something cramped too bad and if something itched, you couldn't scratch it. And then you blanked your mind and you floated away into a million bubbles. That's what I thought meditation was, um, because that's kind of how it was always explained to me. You have to do it this way. And there is absolutely something to be said for formal seated meditation. But I learned at Harvard, there's something called a mini meditation. And it's so simple. Um, can, I can I teach it now? Oh, I want to. Yes. So, okay. No, no. Let's teach it now. Okay. Perfect. Okay. So this is how I learned that finally stuck. Um, so you simply concentrate on your breath, the inhale and the exhale. And you're not trying to change your breath. You're not trying to slow it down or speed it up. You're really just using it as an observation. And then on the next inhale, think, I am. And on all of your inhales, think, I am. And on your next exhale, think, at peace. And on all of your exhales, think, at peace. So you're concentrating on your breathing. Inhale, I am. Exhale at peace. And when other thoughts intrude, not if, because when, they will, just dismiss them without judgment. Just acknowledge that you were thinking. Eh, I'm thinking. Okay. Return to the inhale and the exhale and the mantra of I am at peace. And just keep repeating that. And what's so great about that is you can do that anytime anywhere. You don't have to sit in a certain position. You don't have to close your eyes unless you want to. Please don't do it while you're driving because that creates a whole other set of problems. <laughs> but it, it really is as simple as inhale, I am, exhale at peace. And what that allowed me to do is it basically became my gateway drug to formal meditation. Because the first time we learned to do it, you know, when she said, who thinks they can't meditate, my arm shot up and she looked at me like, yeah, I can tell. <laughs> like, what and she it was kind of judgy frankly um but you know she just kind of looked at me like mm -hmm. uh like i had a big type a on my chest or something but um i didn't want to come out of that we did it for maybe five or seven minutes and when she said open your eyes and come back to the room i shook my head no because it was the first time where i realized um, i gave myself permission to quote fail I didn't beat myself up if thoughts intruded because they're going to intrude. And when I studied with the Dalai Lama, uh, I'm sorry, I, with Thich Nhat Hanh, I did a class with him. He said there are days he's too distracted to meditate. And I'm thinking, but your job is to meditate. Like, how are you not doing, you know, how do you not have this down yet? Um, and it was just very encouraging because I realized that thoughts are going to intrude. I mean, they just are. Um, but just allowing them to go away without judging it, without going, oh, I failed and, da, 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 and just jumping up, um, actually sticking through that and simply thinking I am at peace, which you can't think two things at once. So if you're really thinking I am at peace, other thoughts aren't going to get in. Uh, it just doesn't work that way. Any recommendation on how long you might want to choose to do it if you're starting off in the beginning? 
yeah, you know, just do it for two or three minutes. Um, and you'd be surprised how many times thoughts can intrude in two or three minutes. Um, but that's okay because the key to that is um, one of the other med- um, re- really intense meditation that I studied with. He said it's not so much, I mean, yeah, if we can cease thinking completely, that would be awesome. But really the trick at this point is to catch it when it starts catch it when you start to think something as opposed to having this 15 minute daydream and then realize you've had a 15 minute daydream. Cause I've had that too. It's like, you know, I'm meditating and suddenly I've had this entire scenario <laughs> running through my head and I realize, ah, oh, I lost it. Um, you know, so just try it for two minutes and then increase it to five minutes. And, you know, one of the things I do now is if I get stuck at a red light in my car, I take my hands off my steering wheel I keep my eyes open and I think I am at peace and concentrate on my breath until the light changes. Because what am I going to do? Sit there and be mad that the guy in front of me didn't go through the yellow because I thought I was going to go too. Um, you just sit, you have to wait. You have to be there. So mm. make it a, make it a meditation rather than a frustration. You can make, do this trick anywhere. Do it while you're in the shower, do it while you're washing your hands. You know, it's, it's a beautiful thing to throw in when you have time for it. Mm. And I guess because I'm running sleep courses it's something that obviously is important to get yourself to a restful state anyway. Yeah. So if you're doing that, you know, as you prepare for bed, it would be you'd feel much more able to rest and relax when you get into bed. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's funny that you say that because if, you know, someone who does formal meditation, there's certain things you you have to be in a certain position. You're not supposed to be thinking I am at peace or a mantra. You're supposed to just blank out your brain. You're not supposed to do it to fall asleep. You're not supposed to, you know, there's all these rules and there's to me I think just as many types of meditation as there are people. We all can do it differently. Um there's different tracks on that and if you want to follow one of those that's great. I've done formal seated meditation at a silent retreat where I meditated up to 2 hours. And I can do that now because of the mini meditation and how that really helped me train myself. You know, you don't jump on a, you know, a 10 speed bike when you're three, you get a little bike with training wheels and you work up to that. And some people do it faster than others. And some people have a knack for it that others don't. I think we have to be gentle with ourselves. You know, you don't stand up your kid on day two and yell at it to walk when it falls down. You know I mean? It's like you have to be, we have to be gentle with ourselves the way we would be our kids. Mm, that's really great gardens. Thank you. And what are your tips for living fabulously, Kathy? Oh, you know, just do the best you can. Make the best choices. It's all about choice. There's always another choice. And I think so often we forget there's choices. But if nothing else, we choose what we think about and how we think about things. So put the best food in your body you can, the best thoughts in your mind you can, and just go for it. That's that's my motto. Go for it. Take yourself out of your comfort zone. Do those things that thrill you and live a full life. Yes, you certainly sound like you're living a thrilling and full full life with the trapeze and the dancing and, and your beautiful work that you're bringing to the world. So thank you for that, Kathy. Oh, and you, you can find Dr. Kathy Groover at her website, thealternativemedicinecabinet.com, and also on Facebook, Dr. Kathy Groover for and number four for health, but they will be in the show notes. Kathy, thank you so much for sharing your journey and really inspiring us that We can change our thoughts. I love the idea of replacing thoughts with more positive and being in the present. So even if you have a simple mantra or an affirmation to change the body physiology, it's so powerful. And I love that you say that the more we do these things, the more we see ourselves as lucky because it is, you know, when you approach things with a certain mindset, you almost like get what you 
believed in. It's uh, it's uh, how that life rewards us, I guess, in some ways, or or not. And then also taking simple things like washing the dishes, having a shower, and doing them mindfully. You know, you were going to be doing them anyway, so why not do them mindfully? I love that idea too. And the concept that everything that all these meditation, the mindfulness, all improves productivity. So when we're talking to professionals and entrepreneurs, that's what they're looking for, but yet they think that meditation or mindfulness may slow them down, but it's sort of slowing down in order to speed up, which is a a reverse kind of Bev logic. But I also love that you said it's all about choice. In every moment, we do have choice And that's what we need to do is to choose to live fabulously every single day because that's what's life here. We're here for living a fabulous life. So thank you for being with me today. Oh, you're so welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening. And I would love to know what you enjoyed most about this episode. You can connect with me on Facebook by searching for Living Fabulously with Bev or feel welcome to leave a message or comment on my website. You can get the links and any references from this episode in the show notes at my website, www.livingfabulously.com forward slash podcasts. Do you have a friend who you think deserves to live fabulously? Spread the love around by sharing the podcast with them right now. Until next time, be sure to live the fab life. The information shared here and in our programs and webinars should not be seen as medical advice. It is not meant to take the place of seeing licensed health professionals.